You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Tanya Natalie, a second-hand bookseller, a professional editor, and occasional writer. In this episode, we chat about reading, editing, and writing, and the value of books. Tanya shares her love and enthusiasm for books with insights into some of her favourites that have resonated and made an impact. We explore Tanya's studies in English literature and associated subjects, and her further studies in book editing and publishing. Tanya offers insights into the various stages of the typical editing process, beginning with manuscript critiques for extensive big picture notes on enhancing and improving a manuscript, then the word by word and line by line copy editing for consistency, accuracy, clarity, and to check for spelling, grammar, and continuity errors, followed by proofreading, incorporating suggestions, a second and final edit, and preparing the manuscript for publishing. We find out more about Tanya's current writing projects, including a memoir incorporating various perspectives on bipolar from family, friends, and psychologists, and a children's educational project exploring the Arctic and Antarctic regions and the impact of climate change for upschool.co. We also learn how her bookshop adapted to remain viable in response to the global pandemic by curating hand-picked and home-delivered personality-based book bundles. Throughout our conversation, Tanya encourages the practical enjoyment of reading and writing and her enduring love of books. Here's my conversation with Tanya Natalie. We, um, we're sitting in your fabulous book, bookshop. Yes, that's right. Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested, as I ask all the guests, to find out more about you, what you're interested in, what you studied at school maybe. Some people go back to when they're three years old playing the ukulele. I can do that, yes. So, you know, uh, what what say ye? What, tell okay, us more sure. about who you are. Where, you, so, where have you come from? All right. So uh, my name is Tanya Natalie, and this is my bookshop, The Book Plate, and we're in Hornsby. And I, uh, I own and operate this shop, and I'm also a professional editor. And essentially, I have been reading since I could, which is possibly when I was three or so. And I've been obsessed with books since. Um, I was highly influenced by my parents because there were always books in the house, and particularly, particularly my dad, who I run this shop with. He's, a, he's kind of a philosopher. So he reads a lot of philosophy and he influenced my tastes while I was young and introduced me to some amazing books quite at a young, quite at a young age. Like and what? Like uh, things like, I think the first philosophical book he gave me was Justine Gardner. Um, I don't know who that is. So he wrote a book called Sophie's World and it kind of, yeah, you probably know... Oh, I don't Sophie's know. That's cool. World. That could be a painting too. Right. Um, but the book is kind of, um, it introduces philosophical uh, elements to a younger audience. 
So because, you know, philosophy can be quite hard and quite dense, depending on who's writing it. <laughs> so that was a book that I really loved when I was young. And then he, he gave me a copy of Catch-22 by Joseph Heller, which is one of his favorites. And I was like, this, this is an amazing book. I understand it's, that is. I tr- did try and watch the film, and I thought, oh, this film is just not like it's. It's really a simplified version of the novel. But I understand the novel is quite complex. Yes, the novel probably because I was maybe thirteen or fourteen when I first read it. It's hard to to grasp, but it's so funny. I had to read it two or three times before I really, really appreciated the story within it. But um, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't can't really comment on that in particular. But generally speaking, movies don't do as well as as the books themselves. Yeah, we're talking earlier. (laughs) So then what other things did you So yeah, so when I was younger, um, I basically in high school, I had the two main obsessions. There was books, but there was also music. So I started a band when I was in year 10 with my two best friends, Crystal and Rachel. And funnily enough, we named our band. We didn't know what to call it. And I was reading a book at the time. So of course I suggested a name from the book. I was like, why don't we call the band Chenevaya? And so we did. And we went around all of the- S H. (laughs) (laughs) This is a, yeah, it's S H E N. A-V-Y-R-E. And people would see that written down and they'd be like, "We, uh, how do you pronounce that? Is it Chenevier, Chenevier? And we'd be like, oh, okay, so it's Chenevier, it rhymes with fire. That became the thing. And it's a character from an Isabel Carmody book. So, yeah, I was always reading. I was the kind of person where in school I'd be in the library at lunchtime and my friends would be teasing me. They'd be like, why aren't you hanging out with us? Uh, and I'd be like, I have to finish this book because <laughs> that's just, and you know, I feel really fortunate that my life has ended up in a place where everything I do is books because you've got to love what you do. And otherwise it just kind of feels like, why are you doing it? Mm. So you've so. got, you've sort of been <laughs> surrounded by books from a very early age. Yeah, that's right. And even in university, so in uni, I, I majored in English literature, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life at that age. Um, I did, I was obsessed with books and I used to write quite a fair bit in, in high school and in uni as well, like lots of stories and things. I'd spend my days in, in class. I'd supposed to be paying attention to class, but actually I'd be either reading a book or writing a story. Um, don't do that, basically. Pay attention, kids. Um, but uh, in university, I didn't know what to do for a career. Like people would ask, you know, how do you ask the student, what do you want to do when you grow up? I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted it to do with books. So I studied English literature and I also just studied a whole bunch of subjects that I loved, like philosophy and gender studies and sociology and anthropology, just a bunch of subjects that sounded cool. And it ended up being relevant to what I do now because I work with literature, I work with books, and I work with editing as well. So, yeah, it all sort of sort of fell into place in the end. You were telling me earlier that you had um, you used to edit your friends' um, essays or That's right. So in university, I started uh, editing all of my friends' essays, and you know, people would have 
the internet had just sort of started up so people were writing blogs and creating websites themselves and I'd be like please let me edit it before you put this online because there's so many mistakes in it and I noticed that I would just see that all the time but I don't know why but for some reason I didn't realize that editing could be a career so I didn't uh, I didn't study editing when I was in university at that age it wasn't until a few years later that I was like oh why don't I just do this all the time and get paid for it, seeing as I love it so much? And right now I'm doing it for free, but maybe I should make this a career. So in, it's actually fairly recently in 2014. So university ended in 2004 or 2005 or something. It was a long time ago. And in 2014, I went to college, Maclay College in Sydney and studied a diploma of book editing and publishing. And Basically, from university until now, I'd already been editing. Like, I'd had people end up coming to me because they knew that I did it anyway. And, they, you know, it was word of mouth. I'd get work through that way. They'd bring me their manuscripts and they'd say, hey, so what do you think of this? And I'd, I'd have a read or I'd review it and I'd say, this isn't ready for editing yet, which is the proofreading. Wow, what does that mean? <laughs> this is, so, okay. not, isn't that why you I've come to... to um, yeah. So it's it's a careful conversation, but sometimes <laughs> sometimes uh, you I receive a book and uh, it needs a bit more before I can do the editing and the proofreading, which is the fixing of the spelling, grammar, and punctuation in a novel and getting it ready for publication. Um, sometimes it needs a little bit more work, so maybe the characters could use a little bit more, you know, oomph. Or maybe the dialogue could be worked on a little bit or the flow of the book or the structure even. So there are some other aspects of edit involved in editing and I love it. I love all, all aspects of editing. So I'll say to them, okay, maybe you need uh, a manuscript critique before you do the editing. And that's a comprehensive look at the manuscript and it's broken down into here's how you can improve the characters, here's how you can improve the dialogue, here's how you can improve the structure and the form what you, and all of this. this all is what what I, yeah, explaining. so I'll create this huge report for them and it's usually about 15 or 20 pages and then I'll send them a bunch of articles and I'll say, so you can either spend some time on your novel and, and novel or manuscript, however, you know, it doesn't have to be fiction. I, I love nonfiction as well, actually. Uh, and you can incorporate all these changes and work, work on it and then send it to me. Now, those little bells, I'm assuming that's the phone. That's the phone, yeah. but the shop's not open yet, so we can Okay. <laughs> so will they, I guess that person will just leave a message or they'll yeah, ring back right. or something. Yeah, should be fine. Okay. We okay to... Can yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we can, can just, continue. I think it's soft enough for us It to is soft. It's actually yeah, quite it's actually pleasant. Quite, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll say to them, you can uh, work on this. Uh, they'll, they'll get the report from me and, and I'll say, you can work on your book and send it back to me when you're ready. And that's when I'll, that, that's when we can get to the copy editing and the proofreading stage. Um, or I do offer the option of, you can say, please do this for me. So then I'll take on the, the task of, of um, working on the, working on the, on the, on reworking the book, on en enhancing it and ensuring that it's, you know, the characters and the description and the, the narrative and the rest of it um, is, you know, enhanced. Is this all stuff that they taught you at Maclay College? Uh, yes, a lot of it is, yeah. A lot of it, I mean, I kind of just 
have always been good with books because I've read so many. It seems that way. Yeah. <laughs> when, I was, uh, when I was a kid, Louisa May Alcott's book, Little Women, was super powerful. And it was one of the first ones I read where I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is amazing writing. What, what is it about that book? Because it pops up all the time in yeah, popular it's, culture. Um, I mean, it's classic for one. Uh, so it's always been around. And it is, um, it's just the the sibling dynamics, the the the, it's a group the of emotion sisters, in it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The emotion, the the riv- rivalries between them. It's just, it's really relatable. So, I mean, I love books that are relatable. I I actually find it harder to read books like science fiction and fantasy, though I am starting to get into them more now, uh, because they're they're not as uh, rooted in real life as the as the just fiction and as biographies are so so what's another yeah. one? Oh gosh this is hard this is, this is you're really on the spot question. here <laughs> uh, let's see did I mention any when we were chatting earlier that you can remember oh. I know there was Little Women and then there was Catch 22 and then the, I said the Sophie's World one oh, we were talking a lot about the um, <coughs> translating books from book to film but um i guess the ones that that i would say now are my favorites they they're probably different to the ones i grew up on the ones i grew up on were literally whatever was in the libraries um, I remember I went through a, a Marilyn Monroe phase in university where I went to the library every day and checked out every book b- about her and just I don't know why I was obsessed with her story but she's a super interesting personality and I just wanted to know everything about her so I remember doing that uh, and I think that must have influenced me in a way um, but I also remember philosophy being my favorite subject so in university so anything philosophical anything with a philosophical element I've always loved but the thing about that is that you don't have to read a book by a philosopher or specifically about philosophy for you to for you to get philosophical uh, elements from the book like this Mm. Literally what does every that mean? fiction. It means that you could pick up any fiction book and yeah, yeah. Well, maybe not no? the crime ones where <laughs> everyone's dying. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. Uh, what's the philosophy about where everyone's murdered? I mean, I'm sure there is one, but the thing is, like in fiction, there's in any fiction you read, there's philosophical elements to the story, uh, and. And I find that fascinating. Like, that's the relatable aspect of the story. Of course, know? I guess they have people in them. Yeah, exactly. People yeah. doing stuff in yeah. the world and interacting yeah. with each other. Yeah. Challenges, yeah. Solve, solving problems. That's why philosophy is such an interesting subject. And it's because it's, you know, thinking about thinking. Um, it's one of those things where I've always thought that philosophy should be taught in primary schools. Like, we should be taught well, in about... in some ha- primary schools it is. Oh, gosh, good. Yeah, like, yeah. Which ones? Um, uh, maybe like uh, independent schools that have a yeah. kind of um, a broader That's amazing. Curriculum. I did not know that. I love that. Yeah, they're yeah. kind of... And I guess it's sort of um, part of a, like ethics education, mm, that sort yes. of element. Yeah. Depends yeah. on the school. Yeah. And um, it depends on the teacher, depends on a, a whole range of different influencing factors. Yeah. But I mean, arguably, 
any teacher can incorporate these into, that's true, you know, because yes. it's about interpreting a syllabus. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, you can bring, yeah, of course, you can bring philosophy into the classroom. It doesn't have to be a called... It's long, it, like, yeah. I guess it doesn't have to be its um, separate kind of mm. official ticker box mm. philosophy. It can be like a discussion <laughs> point on something, like a, if an English teacher's teaching... Yeah. Um, a book of you know they can explore the character yeah. from a particular perspective yeah. that incorporates who knows what you know I guess this is yeah, the beauty of right. teaching and learning mm. but um yeah definitely with younger children especially some of those concepts are um you know more than accessible and, and it's just kind of I guess that's the beauty sometimes of yeah. philosophy you should definitely I mean thinking about thinking is maybe it's a little bit abstract but it's just, yeah, it's it's where the fun is <laughs> for me. So, I mean, okay, so if we're talking about the books that I love now and that would be my favourite books ever now, uh, it's things like, okay, my absolute favourite at the moment and now this changes every couple of weeks maybe. But for now it's been the same for about a couple of years since I've read the book. It's called The Art of Happiness and it's by the Dalai Lama and also a psychologist, Howard Cutler. And basically, it's them having a conversation with each other about compassion, and it's just and an, an empathy and and about uh, the importance of those qualities in a person. And it's just my absolute favorite. It's just beautiful. You can turn to any page, and you'll learn something, <laughs> and you learn something about yourself as well when you're reading that book. So then, if we're talking about a different genre, my favorite biography is one I read, um, and I just. It's such an unbelievable story and it's also hilarious that I didn't even think it could possibly be true. But there's this author called Augustine Burroughs and he's hilarious. He's Anything he writes is gold. Uh, but the, the one that I read and love, the first one I read, is called Running With Scissors. And I think it's actually a movie as well, although I haven't watched it, so I don't know. Uh, but the book is amazing and I'd recommend that to anyone. Then if we're going for fiction, uh, there's a few. There's a few, I mean, I mentioned a few of the ones that I read when I was younger, but the ones that I read a bit older are things like, uh, there's a book called Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins, which is an American sort of cult classic kind of book, apparently. And my cousin introduced that to me when, when I was uh, maybe 17 or 18 or so, and it's been my favorite since then. It's just like a really cool, interesting, adventure story, and it's really fun to read. And then there's Donna Tartt, The Little History. No, The Secret History. I mean, I could keep going. You're, you're nodding at me about the time and everything. Do you want me to, like, add more books? <laughs> I see. You, you've broken the should fourth I just, wall. Like, should I just email you the list of the 50 books that I love the most? No, we, we have a sense that you're really broadly read and <laughs> these books resonate with Ooh, you. science fiction. Okay, so I, I was mentioning that I don't read a lot of science fiction, but I did read one that I absolutely love, and it's by Philip K. Dick, and it's A Scanner Darkly. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. My dad was reading it when we went on a holiday somewhere when I was younger, and he was halfway through it, but I picked it up to read, like, just to see what he was reading, and literally the first paragraph got me so hooked that I had to go into the room, lock the door, and finish it. And then he was like, give me my book back. <laughs> and I was like, no, I need to finish this before I can give it, because it was that good. It was that interesting. So yeah, I'm trying to get into science fiction and fantasy a little bit more, because I, I do appreciate that there are some gems out there. 
I've just got to find him. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. The beauty of this shop is that the customers, the people I meet in here, I mean, everyone I meet in here is amazing because if you love books, then, you know, you're my type of person. <laughs> I'm assuming that people do that do walk into this bookshop do love books. They're oh looking gosh. for yeah. a book. Yeah, yes. they do. They don't just love books. They love this shop um, because it's it's just a treasure trove. Like you can, you don't know what, you, you come in here and you're looking for something specific, but even if you don't find that, you find five other things <laughs> that you didn't know that you wanted. And the people that come in here, there's quite often a customer will be a reader, but they'll also be a writer. So they'll, they'll find out or they'll know that I'm an editor and we get to talking about their book and then I get to, you know, I get to talking about editing their book and that's how I meet a lot of my clients. And it's just, it's an amazing opportunity to, to sort of provide that service uh, as as not just somebody that sells books to people, but somebody that can work with you to 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 make your book the best it can be, basically. So, what does it look like? Like, a, what are the mechanics? I guess. What do you do? You said earlier about the um, this isn't ready for editing, mm. that type of thing. So but there um, is a particular process. So you start with um, a conversation, obviously, yeah. but then you kind of yeah. If we get through the the manuscript critique stage and then we're going on to the actual editing of it, the way I work is that I will give you a whole project fee, and that's usually based on uh, the that's based on the number of words in your book because that just makes it easy to to do the fee. How basically. many w- words are in a typical book? Oh, that varies. Um, or there's no answer to that. Yeah, there's not really. <laughs> is there a kind of preferred? Oh, is there a typical? Typically, they're like between about fifty thousand and a hundred and twenty thousand, uh, but they can be less and they can be more. Uh, but that's the ones. The ones I've seen are usually between fi- fifty and a hundred and twenty thousand. Uh, the ones that tend to be longer are the ones that, that are sort of science fiction and fantasy. Why books. is that? Yeah, because uh, they're creating entire universes. So, I mean, you, you need to know a lot about a universe. So they tend to, I think, I think that may be why, you know, because uh, I would want to know about that universe. I want to know as much as possible about it to sort of get into the headspace of this, is a, this isn't the world we're talking about. This isn't our human universe. This is some other made-up universe. So mm, That makes you know? sense logically, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it, it's sort of like if the characters <laughs> are doing stuff in that Universe. Yeah, you're explaining entirely new. Maybe there's new um, beings. You know, there w- there would be new beings, and there'd be new ways of. Uh, there'd be new cultures. There'd be new ways of communicating. Even that, everything's completely new. So. so they don't they don't come down with a kind of stack like in an old movie with the stack of pages. Here's Ooh, my memory. Sometimes. Oh, do they? Yeah. So I prefer. I prefer. It's. It makes. It's so much easier to work with a manuscript that's just a Word document because uh, Word has tracked changes so we can do everything online and they can see the changes I've made and they can either accept or reject them because the thing about editing is that I'm not saying this is right and this is wrong. I'm suggesting changes and 
it is up to uh, my my writer or my author or my client to to either agree with what I've suggested or, yeah, or, 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 or to accept. say, oh, actually, I prefer what I've done. So, of course, there are some things that may be considered right and wrong, like spelling of certain words and some... Even, I mean, even some grammar isn't strict because, you know, there's the whole debate about whether the Oxford comma is necessary. I never <laughs> used to know that Oxford comma was even a thing and someone yeah. pointed out to me and I would just yeah. have it. I've been drawing breath Man, for 15 years about it. Man, there's people that have real arguments about the I Oxford comma. I love it. <laughs> I see it's like I never really used to funny. use it at all because yeah. I wasn't taught to use it. When yeah. it was pointed out to me... Sometimes you do need it, though. I thought it's that clarity, makes it, right? It seemed... Mm. Uh, sorry, what? For clarity. Most editing yeah. is, you know, making suggestions based on, you know, for clarity and for understanding the text. But there's, I guess there's genre conventions and then there's other kind of, you know, different parts yeah, of the yeah. world. Yeah, if you want to, uh, um, if you're planning on sticking to a strict um, style guide, then, then yeah, then, yeah. Consistency is key. If you decide to use it, you're supposed to use it the whole way through. These yeah. sort of ideas pop up regularly in learning design mm. where it's kind of like you just generally have the conversation look there's w multiple ways but if we just decide on a style mm. and we just use it consistently we'll be fine but yeah we don't want to be right. wasting time squabbling over yeah this or this or this and we're six months into the project we just you know yeah so pick one and run with it then what happens like I guess you're kind of su supplied with a word document ideally and then you just start reading yes, I guess that's right so um, I give them the fee and I say this project the way I like to do it I mean every every editor works differently uh, but my fee involves two rounds of editing so I, they'll they'll send me the manuscript and I'll do the copy editing which What's is that? which oh, is sorry the, you, were you know, no, you're right uh, which is the um, the the sort of proofreading the What's no, that? sorry not sorry not the proofreading the copy editing copy editing is uh, just correcting any spelling grammar and punctuation yeah. but it's also checking for consistency and for continuity so maybe on page two you've said this person this character has blue eyes but then later in chapter 10 he's you know this, the character's got red eyes no sorry not red eyes red eyes maybe they had a big night <laughs> blue, they've gone to like brown eyes or something and i'm like okay yeah. so you said that they've had blue eyes earlier but now they're on brown eyes so you need to kind of point out those those issues how did that happen there must have been something that caused yeah, that or so the author has to choose one or the other and we stick with that basically so it's checking for all those sorts of things and like i make i make lots of notes throughout the text if there are any sort of uh queries that I have. Do you like, have it just comments within Word? Yes, that's what makes the Word document so easy. Did you, just out of interest, shows you, what, yeah. did you do this before? Yes. Like before in the, the old-fashioned way type thing? Oh, uh, sorry, I thought you meant before my uh, before my diploma. Um, like when you see the, the kind of little marks and squiggles. Yeah, yeah. I, I know how to do that. Uh, the issue with that is that if you're going to mark everything on uh, on paper, with pen and paper, you then have to transfer that onto oh. the onto the computer anyway. Yeah. So, so it's really why efficient. would you do yeah, two? You do yeah. Why would you do the do the work twice when you could just do it one time on the yep on the uh, computer? So I mean, what? Yes. What else? So basically, that's the first phase of uh, of editing, the first part of it, and then I send that back to 
the author and I say, okay, here are all the changes I've made. They can see everything I've done in track changes. I also give them a clean copy in case they're quite happy with everything and they just want to say, I approve all of this. But they do have to go through every comment I've made and give me an answer. So I might say, do you want to make these, the client, this um, character's eyes blue or brown? So they'll answer that and they'll answer all of my queries and they'll send the document back to me. doesn't matter how long they take. They can take two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. How long is typical? Like it so usually I find that the whole process is, uh, in, a, in an average sized book that I mentioned before, the whole process will take about six weeks. Do uh, they find six it, to eight weeks. Are they confronted <laughs> with the kind of, oh, this is sort of too brutal or, or, you know, what would you know? Or I guess they're up for it because they've requested yes, this. Yes, usually if they come to me and they want editing, you'll find that those sorts of people are willing to, you know, of course, because Be they understand that they, they, they need the editing. So, yeah, um, but I think I'm fairly careful with how I word things anyway. <laughs> and I think I'm fairly, like, I'm a nice person. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not yeah, a blunt. I'm not blunt. I'm you're, not a blunt person. So, you're not making um, stuff up. You're just, yeah. you, you've informed I'm just, you know, by carefully explaining that this is how. And plus, plus the the thing to remember and the thing that my clients also know is that um, is that an editor is only make like I'm only making suggestions. And if they do decide that, uh, and I point this out, and I'm like, if if you disagree with me, that's totally fine. You can um, because uh, because it's their book. Right, and so they might uh, there there might be some major change that I'm suggesting, uh, but they don't have to see it my way because they they might have a point to why they prefer their way. Yeah, they have their agency, and yeah. they're ultimately <coughs> making their yeah. own decisions. Yeah. But then we're working together in the editing process. But in at the end of the day, the day it's their it's their book, so uh, I'm deferring to them when it comes to things like that. And so when they've spent their six six to eight weeks? Yes, so six to eight weeks. And the reason that it's that long usually is because I'll spend usually about four weeks on the first phase of the editing because it takes a long time to go through it. Uh, you know, it's line by line, word by word, uh, letter by letter even. So uh, it takes it takes at least four weeks for that. And when I send it to them, I find that they usually only need about two weeks to go through all of my changes and to answer the queries. And when they send it back to me, then I usually only need about two weeks to... This is the second round of editing, and that's where I, I, um, I go through the book again and do the proofreading. So catch any errors that I'd maybe missed the, the previous round and um, incorporate all the changes that from the from the queries. And do you often are you surprised sometimes where they've taken it in a direction they've responded to your feedback? Oh yes, sometimes um, sometimes they write back to me and they say this is amazing and um, now I'm going to change so much in in this and you know they they spend months. On it, but eventually they come back to me and they say, "I'm ready," and they want either the second round or maybe they decide. I've had I've had authors say to me, "You know, they've had one manuscript critique, and they've changed so much in their book that they decide they want another manuscript critique to see if um, to see if they're then ready." You know, and there's there can be a year between the like between this. There's no, um, I don't want to. I don't put pressure on. The, on my writers to to like get back to me by a certain time, or I'm not going to be available. Like I'm always in the shop. I'm always here. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I guess it kind of has its own rhythm for each individual. Even. Yes. Yeah. 
the kind of the time it That's takes. Right. And then I guess, well, what what's the kind of next process for them? So that is a whole other field and that's publishing. So with publishing, um, I did learn a fair bit about it in the course that I did, the diploma I did, but uh, it's not something that I do. I, I like to focus on just the editing, but I do have um, advice for them when it comes to publishing because generally with publishing, they can either go the self-publishing route or the traditional publishing route and there's real differences between the two. So um, if you wanna go with traditional publishing, you might have to give it between three or five or so years uh, of sending out your um, queries to all of the different agents and publishers before you get picked up by someone or before you get, you know, cause, because books tend to go through a fair few uh, rejections before they're accepted. So generally I suggest giving it that amount of time before you then maybe decide to go down, to, down the self-publishing route. Uh, if it's self-publishing, I can sometimes help with that because I've um, done a little bit of self-publishing or I've helped my partner do a little bit of self-publishing because he writes uh, children's books. So um, I generally have a few um, contacts in the industry that I can point them towards when it comes to self-publishing. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So you're talking a lot about editing and assisting other people's writing. And then, I mean, you were talking earlier about even when you were younger, you do your own writing yes. then. Yes. Do you do your own writing now? I do love writing and uh, I wrote quite a fair bit when I was younger um, and then I kind of it dropped off for a bit when I uh, when I you know was in university and doing writing that was related to work and everything um, and right but right now I have sort of gotten tried been trying to get back to into writing and I find like I'm so in awe of the of the clients that I have that come to me for editing because I find writing really difficult. Like it's hard to put your thoughts and your opinions down on paper. It's you have to be quite vulnerable to be able to do that. And I have this uh, big project that I'm trying to do at the moment, and it's a book about bipolar because I have bipolar. And what I'd really like to do, I would like to write a book that incorporates the three perspectives, uh, three perspectives. So there'd be bipolar from my own perspective of what I went through when I was younger and basically up until now, how I dealt with all of that. But then also the perspective of family. So I'm hoping to get maybe my parents or my brother or something, sit down with them and have a conversation about their feelings around when I went through all of this and you know how they coped and what they did to help and that kind of thing but I'd also like to get this is a third perspective um, a psychologist or a psychiatrist and have a conversation with them about uh, sort of what happens when you when you walk into an appointment and you have to have that conversation about uh, about your mental health and that kind of thing and the reason why I want those three perspectives is because there's loads of books out there and they're either written from the point of view of a child who's grown up with the parents that have bipolar or there's books about 
the person that has gone through bipolar or there's maybe textbooks about you know written by the doctors about bipolar but I don't think there's one that incorporates all three and I think that would make it really useful because surprisingly I've had conversations with doctors and psychologists and stuff and counsellors and when I've talked about what I've actually felt during the psychotic episodes that I've had and, and my thought processes, they've been like, oh, I didn't realise that that's what it was like. And it just, it may, I, I just found that so strange because shouldn't they know? Like there should be some, like there should be some cohesion between, you know, the way that family thinks about it, the way that a person going through it thinks about it and the way that psychiatrists and doctors and psychologists think about it. So I'd like to just get everyone yeah, just just that whole conversation going. And the few times that I've brought this up with uh, the different psychiatrists that I've had, they've been like fully on board with it and they thought it was a great idea and I may even have a psych that wants to do the process with me. So I'm really looking forward to that. So that's the one that's the one big Um, project that I'm doing at the moment which is really hard because obviously I have to go through a lot of you know historical trauma to to like actually write about it so that's hard and I'm gonna get there and you can actually follow that story if you go to the bookplate Facebook page and click on the first post because I've linked to a different like a different social media page where I talk about the journey it's like tan Tanya writes books or something the other project I'm doing, which is also super exciting, is I'm going to be going to Antarctica on, actually this is happening really soon, it's happening on Tuesday. Uh, we're going to, me and my partner are going to Antarctica and we're going to be creating an educational program live from the ice. So last year, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if I told you about it, but last year we went to the Arctic and we were sponsored by Aurora Expeditions. They're the company that, um, that, that has the cruise line. They basically sponsored us to go on this trip and we had two other people with us, a videographer and a, um, and a photographer. And what we did there was we created this 10-step this uh, educational program that basically, okay, I'm gonna go back a bit here and tell you this part. So the reason we did this is because my partner has this company called UpSchool. And what it is, is it's education for children anywhere in the world for free. And all they need is a, is a, is internet access and some kind of phone or tablet or something. And anywhere in the world, they can click a link and learn. And it's been amazing. They have hundreds of thousands of children all over the world in, in like, in places like Afghanistan, where this is what my, my partner is most proud of, in places like Afghanistan, where the girls are not allowed to go to school. I think that's still going on at the moment. Uh, they've been huddled in their houses with the curtains closed, uh, sitting around a phone and going to class at UpSchool. And I think that that is just amazing that uh, his company is able, his, his, this program is able to do that, that UpSchool is able to do this for them. When we went to the Arctic, we made a 10, we made the program, like a, a, a program about, um, it was climate change. And 
you know, we we were on the little boat and we were going up to the coastline and there was ice everywhere and there was the there was a polar bear behind our shoulder and we had my partner Gavin and he was, you know, doing his um, is doing a presentation about just behind my shoulder there's a polar bear and then he tells some facts about the polar bear and the story about what the what what they're like and and the impact of. Uh, climate change on on uh, on this region on the region that we were in so that was what we did last year and this year we're doing the same kind of thing from Antarctica and we're going to have um, I think we're going to try and do four different programs rather than just the one and uh, hopefully we'll be able to yeah come back from that and and put that up on on the platform up school and reach reach thousands and thousands more children and in the years to come where we're aiming to hopefully go on all of the different expeditions that aurora does uh and because we've partnered with them now and we'd like to yeah we'd like to do that with them so i think what's uh what's most important like what, what i love most about what we're doing in antarctica and what we're doing for children as well around the world is 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 giving them knowledge, is bringing knowledge to them, bringing them education, bring, uh, allowing them to learn from anywhere in the world. Because to me, I, I, I love I love learning. If I could, I'd spend all my life in university just going to different classes and you know reading about different subjects that I love. But what I love most about learning and knowledge is actually um, is the concept of know thyself. And I can't remember who do you. I, don't I remember, remember we were talking about some, it earlier. Some philosopher said is like is probably Socrates because you know Socrates is great. I think it's you know like <laughs> one, of stone, it's one of those Greek um, a stone guys. arch. I think there's a kind yeah. of carving or something. Know yeah. thyself. But what does that mean? Yeah. So it's the, basically the concept of of know thyself. And um, even fairly recently, I I read something online that I thought was really beautiful. Uh, because it changed my perspective of how I go about in the world. Uh, because I think everyone has that anxiety about, um, you know, oh, what am I doing? What's my purpose? You know, how am I helping? How am I changing anything? How am I, you know, how am I living my life? Contributing. Yes. And the thing that I read, I'm just going to read it word yeah, for word yeah. because I thought it was that good. It's a meme, I think, and it's some. it says this. It says... Today, my anthropology professor said something kind of really beautiful. You all have a little bit of I want to save the world in you. That's why you're here in college. I want you to know that it's okay if you only save one person and it's okay if that person is you. So that's essentially the concept that I love. I love that what's important is that you're working to better yourself. Um, and, you know, the, the way to change the world is to change yourself and that's actually a Kantian okay so I don't know if it's Kant or Kant, Kant. Kant. I don't know either but I, I know always, it's spelled with a K it's with a K the, the philosopher however you pronounce it it's it's a Kantian philosophy to change yourself is is how you're essentially is how you change the world it's it's you know you work on yourself and you you work on your own values and your own um, your own ethics and your own morals and you you work to improve your own how are you improving yeah. your own self I, th- I think by oh that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, wow. Okay, so I hope you read that every I'm doing, day. That's yeah, a I hope, start. I yes. hope that I'm changing myself and improving myself by all of the books that I'm uh, influenced by, because um, because I like to take the good messages from them and to project them out into the world. And I like to work on things like compassion and empathy. Um, so. What 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 was that particular sentence that you said? The question. Uh, what are you doing? What are you? Yeah, what, what to am improve? I doing? Yeah, you, yourself. And I mean, I guess that's yeah. It's a really nice answer. Yeah. Practical answer too. I think the 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 whole point of what are you doing to work on yourself is the fact that you're doing something, because not everyone does anything. Um, so I think I'm hope that the fact that I'm doing something to improve myself is, in fact, the answer to that question. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that definitely resonates. And it's definitely something I'm interested in yeah. of people because it's kind of um, when you compare people that are not really doing anything but they're still kind of maybe whinging or they're yeah. kind of, you know, maybe they have valid complaints but they're yeah. really not actively doing anything about it. Whereas yeah. there's... A, there's 50 things you can just start doing yeah reading books is a really good start yeah or even the the fact that you'd kind of um you know drawn upon your editing and you're you're kind of assisting other writers yeah it's almost like you're creating your own um your own channel of (laughs) future reading or something i mean even even this shop like i'm providing these books to people that 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 need them or want them and i think that that is more of a service than it is an actual retail environment because um yeah because i i don't i mean to be honest i don't make a lot of money out of this secondhand bookshop yeah because uh, it is, it is money a talking point editing secondhand but, bookshops at this yeah, moment in history yeah. But they're still they don't make a lot of money. You don't become a millionaire working in a bookshop like this. And my dad and I both have the exact same wavelength when it comes to this because we just love our books and we love this space and we love our community and we would we would always we're always going to be here as long as as we're not literally losing money. We will we will be around. Yeah, because I know with COVID, that's just you, what we think kinda, about it. You, you oh, had yeah. some really interesting kind of um, yeah. adjustments to kind of you know. remain viable yeah COVID was a strange time because we had to close our doors as everyone did and we couldn't have customers come in and and it was a bit of a you know it was it was tough because we were like what are we going to do if we don't make any money then we're going to have to close the shop because that's just what did you decide to do I know the answer to that by the way (laughs) (laughs) is um, okay now I sometimes claim credit for this idea but it was actually my partner because he's a genius Um, he came up with this idea called personality based book bundles now you know how I don't know if you know but a lot of people will know how there's all these little quizzes online that people love to do. With knowing and it's thyself. Like, what, yeah. yeah, what type of pizza are you? Or what type of this are you? What type? Of, and it's like you answer... What type of this, pizza? Yeah, like little... Oh, these right, are yeah. silly quizzes, right? So you answer I'll a few tell you personality I'm maybe a questions. chicken pizza. Mm. Yeah, you answer like a few personality questions and, and you find out what kind of pizza you are. So we did the same concept, but for books. Uh, and we had six questions, so it was really easy. What were and they? Quick. What sort of? There questions? were things like, um, "Tell me the type of personality 
uh, and I listed a bunch of uh, qualities like are you an introvert or are you an extrovert um, that kind of thing are you generally happy or are you generally sad I mean maybe not that I wasn't that blunt with it but I can't remember all of the things I wrote but it was that kind of thing with and the then aim, like the some of the of, other questions what was were, the aim of these questions well uh, some of the other questions were just things like if you had to choose would you choose cats or dogs and do you, do you like olives or do you hate olives because apparently people either like them or hate them <laughs> so the aim of it it's was a, people it's a would, mixed issue yes <laughs> and people would also I'd also asked um, uh, what are your three favourite books and out of these descriptions what type of books do you like and people picked four descriptive things and when they sent me their answers I would then look at that and it would be basically it was uh, I would go around the shop and I would find the books for them based on their personality so and I would package up maybe five to seven books and it would be all post you know wrapped nicely and posted out to them anywhere in Australia and I had this great deal with the with the courier company Sendle where it only because they were such a good uh it was such a good deal. It was only um, $50 for a personality-based book bundle delivered anywhere in Australia. And it just really took off. Uh, first of all... So what do you think people... Yeah, why did, why did it take off? What was, what, well, what was it doing for people? I think a, a part of it was that um, people wanted to support their local bookshop and they didn't want to see... I'm on board with that. Down, you know, yes. and, and I'm really happy that that happened. Uh, secondly, of course, there's so many people stuck at home because of COVID. So it's like, oh, it's the best time to read. <laughs> Got nothing else to do, may as well read. Uh, it was a really good deal. You know, it was $50 for five to seven books posted anywhere in, in Australia. And, um, and yeah, there was, there, was, there was just, you know, it's just ticked so, so many boxes. And we also had a broadsheet and timeout do a couple of articles about us. And that pushed it out to... Uh, you know, all over Australia, and we had thousands of orders. And oh, it wow. was, yeah, yeah, I was doing a hundred bundles a day for a little while. It was nuts. Uh, but it was amazing because without that, I would definitely have had to close. And I'm just so fortunate that, first of all, that Gavin, my partner, came up with the idea, and also that all of my customers and the greater community, they were so on board with it and they loved it. And like, I still do the bundles now, you know, they still go on. Hmm. So for me, it's almost like a kind of mediated, you, you're kind of assisting the readers, your readers to reflect upon themselves mm. in yeah. a way. And then the yeah. fact that you've then curated uh, a bundle of yeah. books that are kind of, you you kind of believe will meet their interests. That's right. I mean, it still happens now. People walk into the shop and they're like, oh, I don't know what to read. What do you suggest? And, you know, I'll just ask them a couple of questions about themselves and they'll say, tell me about the last couple of books that you read that you really loved. And, you know, I'll, you know, I'll get to know them while, while I'm walking around the shop with them and I'll, and I'll know and I'll, I'll just be like, this is, this is what you should read. <laughs> and so I'll make a few suggestions and yeah, it usually, it's just, you know, honestly, I, f I feel like it's 95 98% of the time, I'm, it's spot on. So you kind of, um, well, yeah, you're kind of doing your bit to foster a uh, interest in reading and literacy I in so. the community. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're also inviting them back in. Yeah. So that you're, well, you're encouraging people to write. Oh, yes. And then they, you're I mean, reading what they've written. Everyone's got a book in them. I 
definitely believe that line. It's uh, It's been said. Um, I think everyone has the capability and the potential to write a story. And I... I think I mentioned this earlier, like I'm in awe of the people that actually do it because it is really difficult. And I started my journey of writing the book about bipolar like literally a few years ago in maybe 2021. And I, like, I have, I've left it all of last year. I haven't done anything with it because it's a difficult thing to do. And the people that come in here that, that, that sort of hint to me that they're thinking about writing, I'm, I'm always so encouraging of that because it's, it's, yeah, it's an amazing thing to do. And I just, I just want to see it. <laughs> the thing, like sometimes, I mean, I sometimes get people that come in here and they say, oh, I don't really read that much and I don't know what to, where to start or, or what to, what to read. Or, or sometimes there's the parents that say, Oh, you know, my kids, they, they only read uh, comics and, and graphic novels and I don't know how to introduce them to, to books. Or there's the, um, the people that say, um, uh, they say, well, there's, um, do, do you think that Kindles are going to take over and books are going to die off like because Kindles are going to replace it? Like, like, you know, back, like the song Video Killed the Radio Star and streaming music has killed off CDs, that kind of thing. But what I say to that is that as long as they're reading, that's, that's the point. The point is to read. It doesn't matter what you're reading or how you're reading or audio books, that, that counts. Kindles, I, I love a Kindle. Like it's, you can fit a thousand books on that. You know, that, that works too. And if you don't know where to start, uh, think about what you enjoy in life. Uh, the the thing about reading is that you don't have to read a book that you don't like. If you start reading a book and you don't, you're not enjoying it, just you know, choose something else. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You may as well just only read the books that you love. On a personal level, I haven't read many of the classics because I never really got into the the, the language of all of the classics. Um, it is something that's on my to do list. I'd like to one day read read the classics just to see, you know, what they're all about because I know that they're worthy of reading. But you don't have to read them if you don't want to, you know. You can uh, you can just read what you love. For those people that are listening and they're really just thinking, no, I don't read. You know, I'm not interested. I mean, they're maybe a tough ah. nut to crack. How okay. do you? What? So, what do you say to them? About that is, I think that doesn't exist. I I think there there is no such thing as a person that doesn't like to read or that doesn't know what they want to read because what it comes down to is they just haven't found the right book and when you find the right book that's when something clicks and you're like oh my gosh this is amazing and you can, you end up going off on a little rabbit hole like in Alice in Wonderland and you just it just spirals from there upwards though Does it, can you spiral upwards <laughs> certainly I don't know if you can I but believe let's you, say can. That you can I guess it's an emotional state <laughs> yeah and, and you end up, uh, that's when you fall in love with reading and with books, uh, is when you find the right book. And, and I hope that a place, uh, you know, I, I know that bookshops and libraries uh, are where you find the right books and where you find people to help you find the right book. Yeah. In this episode, I chatted with Tanya Natalie, secondhand bookseller, professional editor, and occasional writer. 
You can find out more about this episode in the show notes, including links to the book plate, Tanya's website, and other social media. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Perryville.